0: I went to Amazon and looked up finish and the only thing that came up was on laundry detergent and dishwasher detergent. And so we over the beginning and nobody was talking about the end. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord.
1: It was a $27,000 exercise.
0: Hey, it's Mikey from the Goonies.
1: This is not a race. This is war. A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have New York Times bestselling author of six books, John Acuff, as he shares how to properly set New Year's resolutions and keep them. Why saying something is common sense is dumb, and how to identify the things that are keeping us from the finish line. So right now, we're kind of in New Year's resolution season here, and I've got a case study for you, which may or may not be real. We'll just act like it's fictional. So let's say I'm married, and my wife and her three or four sisters, they got 10 or 12 kids between them, have decided that this year they're going to get fit. They've got Vivo Fit 3s, all of them, for Christmas. They're kind of joining in together here. What should they do if they, they kind of have this goal of being healthier, this year, what advice would you give them to actually be successful? Because there have been times in the past, theoretically, where they've all gotten together, set a goal, and it has not finished.
0: Well, I mean, I guess I'd say being healthier is not a it's not a good goal because it's impossible to measure. It's like being happier. Um, It's too fuzzy. So, I mean, I try to get down. I'm a big believer in data. Um, One of the things I talk about in finish is that data kills denial, which prevents disaster. So I would try to find some sort of data they can focus on. Um, I try to make sure that the goal is the right size. People that do health goals often, go too aggressive too quickly and they end up burning out. So I'll meet people that'll say, oh, I'm going to start running. I go, that's great. And they'll go, yeah, I'm going to run a marathon. And I'll say like, well, have you run a half marathon or like a 10K or a 5K or like even just a K? And so I'd say, I'd figure out, you know, what's the commitment. I'd also say, okay, what are you going to not do? Like, cause it's not like they're doing this because oh, I have so much free time. I wish I had some stuff to do. They're doing it cause they want to get healthy. So what are you going to do this instead of? Um, and then I try to find a form of exercise that fits who they are. I don't think people who are community-based should do an exercise where you're alone. I don't think people who are introverts should do a community-based one. Like, and I'm going to go to a class and be in front of people doing aerobics. Like, you won't. That doesn't fit who you are. So I try to match. Just because they're doing it together doesn't mean they should all do the same thing.
1: How do you make it fun? I know one of the things you talk about is making goals fun. How would you make that fun?
0: Well, I would do activities I enjoyed. Like, if you hate running, don't run. Like, people, people think you have to. Um, if you like riding a bike, ride a bike. If you like riding somewhere pretty, go to the Natchez Trace. Like, make it as, you know, if it's cold and you don't want to walk outside, walk in the mall. Like, I would find ways to make it as easy as possible to actually execute it. Um, we tend to think goals have to be miserable to count, um, and then we don't do them, and we are, we're surprised.
1: How do you pick out what to... You talk about bombing things. How do you pick out what to bomb at?
0: So a lot of it depends on the seasonality of it. So I would argue every church, every retail company should sit down in November and say, here are the five things we're not going to do in December because December is our craziest month. We'll pick them back up in January, but we're not... Most businesses, most churches act like... December is the same kind of month as March. It's not. You should deliberately. And I've never worked for a company that was good at that. That said, hey, 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 we're our our craziest season's coming up. Everybody, give the five things they're not going to worry about or five things they're not going to touch until January. So part of it's the seasonality of it. Um, part of it is, you know, the stickiness of it. Some people are able to watch one episode of a TV show on Netflix. Some people aren't because it's really, really sticky. So if you said, okay, during this season. I need to not worry about this. I'm, I'm coaching people right now. And one of the coach, one of the people I coach said, Hey, I do an all nighter every Thursday night. I have this side business. I do an all nighter and he's got a health goal. And I said, okay, this may not feel like it's related, but we need to get that to every other week. Like, cause that one night of no sleep is wrecking your weekend eating and exercise. And so we need to choose, like, sometimes you choose to bomb things because the detriment they're having is so obvious and massive. Um, sometimes it's, I'm going to bomb online friendships cause I compare myself and you go, I got to unfollow like five people cause it makes me feel like a terrible mom. And so I'm going to unfollow them. So it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish.
1: What gave you the idea to, to, uh, to pick up this topic?
0: So I, I wrote a book called start a few years ago, um, about starting your goal And people came up to me and they said, Hey, I love the book. It was helpful, but no offense. I've never had a problem starting. Like starting is the easiest thing in the world. I can start a million things today. How do I actually finish them? And I thought, wow, that's a great question. And so I always, whenever I tell people, whether it's starting a business or starting a book topic, you look for three circles. First is you find, if if we're going to do a Venn diagram. You find a circle of curiosity. I'm curious enough about this to chase down an answer for two years and to talk about it for a long time. Then your second circle is, is there a real need? Like, do people need it? And people kept saying to me, hey, how do I finish? How do I finish? Stats like 92% of New Year's resolutions fail according to the um, Scranton, University of Scranton. And so there's a real need. And then is it already in the marketplace? Like, so I went to Amazon and looked up finish. And the only thing that came up was um, laundry detergent and dishwasher detergent. And so we overcelebrate the beginning and nobody was talking about the end. And so I thought, okay, well, this matches. And that's what started it. The big change for me was that, I commissioned a research study with a Ph.D. named Mike Peasley, who's a professor now at MTSU, um, to study nearly 900 people over a six-month period so we could statistically, scientifically say, these things work, these other things don't, which that was game-changing. I will never write another nonfiction book um, without a Ph.D. behind the ideas.
1: Now, now, you did so much of that research. What was uh, what was the most surprising thing that you found during your your actual research into this
0: well, one of the surprising things was that the day most people quit is day two. Mm. Like, And the the reason is really fascinating. So if you say to somebody, I'm going I'm to count my calories for 30 days. That's my goal. And if you say to them, okay, well, I want you to break up that 30 days in beginning, middle, and end. Like, tell me how it breaks down. Most people say beginning will be day one through 10. Middle will be 11 through 20. End will be 21 through 30. And the reality is beginning is day one. The middle is day two through 29, and the end is day 30. The work shows up on day two. Day one, you have a kickoff party and you eat cake and you're excited. There's hype. Day two, the work shows up. The middle starts earlier than we want to admit. So that was really surprising. I mean, I think most people think people quit their goals at day 15, but so many people already quit on day two, in part because they've chased the wrong thing. They've done the wrong goal. It's not the right time. They weren't honest with themselves. There's a lot of reasons. But yeah, that people quit that early was surprising.
1: Outside of, you know, the book, you know, in the book and your work process, where have you kind of applied this in your own life?
0: Well, I mean, I've read more than I ever have before. Last year, I read 10 books. Um, Today, I'll finish 130. Um, And I'll probably hit my goal of 156. But yeah, so that was a big one. To, I wanted to see, I I had read 10% of the books I owned. Like, we've all done this where you recommend you, a book you haven't even finished. Like, that's ridiculous. And so that was a big change for me was saying, okay, could I actually use this to get smarter by reading? And it worked.
1: Does your wife actually use any of this and believe you?
0: She already, I'd say there's three types of people when it comes to goals. Um, and I know which one's my audience. The first type of people are wired this way and don't need it. So a guy like Tim Ferriss, that dude's measuring his blood like seven times a day. Like he's he's naturally pretty amazing at that. Like my wife, same way. We went to like a goal setting like event once and she was like, this stuff is so obvious. I already do like 90% of this. And she's just wired that way. She'll never read a book about goals because she's not the kind of person that needs them. Second group of people are people who are cynical about it and they go... That's fake. Goals are dumb. Like, just live life. Like, they have a their attitude prevents them from engaging. That's fine. I don't need to worry about those people either. The third group have tried and realized it's not easy, and they're willing to take advice and help and encouragement. Those are my people. Like, if you're already naturally great at it, great. Go do it. Like, there's people I know that are like, I only sleep four hours a night and I run marathons, and I like, great. Go do that. The people that are like, I think it's dumb, goals are dumb, great, go. If your life is working for you, it's like when somebody tells me something's common sense. I always want to go, so then you must have six-pack abs, be a multimillionaire, and be in a healthy marriage. Because otherwise, it's not common sense. It's the craziest thing you've ever heard in your life. If you think it's common sense, you must have accomplished all your dreams already. Like It's such a dumb thing to to label something common sense and then not do it. Um, But no, my third group is those people that go, I've tried it. I'm engaged. How do I do it better? And then I get to go, well, we did this research and here's how. That, those are my people.
1: You talk about people not realizing the secret things that are keeping them from accomplishing their goals. How do you uh, identify those those secret rules that you don't even know you have?
0: Well, a big part of it, we always, you know, our culture is obsessed with hacks. I want a life hack. Um, a big thing you do is relationships. People um, that you trust will tell you the truth. And so a lot of times you're so close to the secret rule you barely notice it but a friend if you'll give them permission will say hey your last 3 jobs you quit because the boss was a jerk and didn't give you enough responsibility what if maybe you're the the problem like what if it's you and then you have to have the maturity to to respond to that so I always encourage people it's hard to find a secret rule sometimes because the, per, the people we deceive the best are ourselves. Whenever somebody goes, why did you do that bad decision? If you're honest, you'll say, because I thought it would be a good de- decision. I thought it would work out. Like, I made that decision because, like, this is great. And then it blew up in my face. We need other people around us that will say, hey, I, I see this thing. Hey, be careful. Let me point this out.
1: How does shame keep people from reaching their goals?
0: I mean, I, I think about a million ways. Um, shame comes into effect, too, with perfectionism, perfectionism. Um, perfectionists are interesting. The people with the messiest office are usually perfectionists because if they can't clean it perfectly, they won't start. And so it stops you from even starting things. Like a perfectionist would rather get a zero than a C-. minus. So I'll meet people that'll go, I'm going to run five miles a day, but I only have time for three today, so I'm not going to do any. And you go, well, you know, three is more than zero, and they just (laughs) accept the zero. So a lot of times that shame keeps you stuck exactly where you are. How do people? You were
1: talking earlier about uh, day two. How do you conquer day two?
0: Well, you prepare for it. It's I call day two the day after perfect Um, because by day two, it's already not perfect, because that's not how life is. Um, So there's a lot of different tactics you use. Again, relationships important, planning for it's important. A lot of these things, once you take the surprise out of them, aren't impossible. Like when you go, oh, it's day two, that's right, I have to, you know, come up with a plan. I encourage people, just do a 1% win on day two, your only goal on day two is to get to day three. And so figure out, okay, I want to lose 10 pounds, 1% of that is one tenth. of one pound. Like I can probably do that today. Like, can I lose 0.1 pounds today? Like I think I can, like, let me try that. So I try to get people to get a 1% win on day two.
1: When you are, you know, kind of putting this together, uh, you know, you're talking about cutting goals in half. Is that something that people have a hard time doing or does that keep people from getting started?
0: They have a hard time trusting it. Um, especially companies that have big goals misinterpret that as so don't have big goals um and that's not what i'm saying the cut your goal in half we found that people who did that were 63% more successful so that's not a solution, though. That's about a symptom. So the solution isn't, so dream really big and then cut it in half. Or, or walk into your boss's office and say, hey, I'm going to hit half my sales numbers this month because this, this guy said to cut it in half. Obviously, that's not what I'm talking about. That's just indicative of how bad we are at dreaming the right size. So I still, I want companies that have huge goals. I want you know people to write books and do huge things. I just don't want them to do them the wrong way. So if you came to me and said, I'm going to write a book, I'd say, why don't you write a chapter? Like, why don't you just absolutely crush a chapter and then we'll write a second chapter and then a third chapter. So when a company says to me, we have a huge revenue goal and it's, it's big, but I th- we think it's possible. I'd say, well, let's break it down into a bunch of small goals that we can actually accomplish. I'd never say build half a hospital, you know, like sell half the cars you need to sell, like. I really use that statistic to kind of shock people into the conversation, um, to say, look how bad we are at goals. Sixty-three percent of people were more successful if they did this thing. What if we prevented the need to do that thing by doing it right from the beginning?
1: So we, uh, one of the questions I had that uh, got sent in over Facebook. So this is from uh, from Marianne. Is there a point at which a reluctance to finish something indicates you should never have started it in the first place?
0: I'm sure that happens, but that's that's an edge case. Um, That's like, if anything, you should want to finish it to be done with it. You know what I mean? Like I can't, it's hard to figure out a situation where that would be true in that I would say you will change goals. Like I'd rather you quit the wrong thing than push through it. I don't like when I meet people, you know, I met a, a dentist once who said, Hey, he was like 27 I knew in dental school, I didn't want to be a dentist, but I didn't want to disappoint anybody. So I just kept going and now I'm 200 grand in debt. And the only way to get out of the debt is to keep doing the thing I don't want to do. Like, if I had met that kid in dental school, I would have told him, like, quit dental school. Like, the the year of awkwardness or whatever it is will be way better than 40 years of being in the wrong profession. So I do believe there's times to quit the wrong thing. I don't think if you get really close to the finish, that's one of the things that legitimately prevents you. Um, I think once you've moved past the middle and you're close to the finish, you've worked through a lot of that. I very rarely have met people that were on the doorstep and said, nah, it's the wrong thing to pursue. Like... That just doesn't happen much. I'm not saying it's impossible. I just don't think it's a big issue.
1: One of the stories that we always like here, you know, you talk about kind of having to push through the difficult times to get a, a worthy goal or, wor- you know, finish something. You know, one of the things we talk about here is your story when you're at Vanderbilt and and you're talking to like a terrible audience. Tell us that story.
0: So I had, I had uh, changed jobs and so I was kind of rebuilding. I was in rebuild mode and... Um, Vanderbilt University said, um, Hey, why don't you speak at Barnes and Noble? It'll be 60 people. It'll be great. And I thought, all right, that sounds awesome. So I showed up and it was like six people, um, which is less than 60. And it was in a Starbucks portion of a Barnes and Noble. And so it meant that like six of 50 people that were sitting there were for me, the other 44 were just drinking coffee, trying to enjoy their lives. And so then I get on a mic and start talking, like everybody looks at me and like people start packing up and leaving to go to the other side of the Starbucks to try to get out of the range of my voice. And (laughs) there was no part of me that was like, this is the dream. Like I, like it was hard, but I always tell people like, whether it's six people or 600, you have to do your best. And so I said yes to that. I kept my commitment. I worked as hard as I could. And then that night... A professor emailed me and said, hey, I was grading papers. Never heard of you before. Um, Would you like to come speak to my seniors? And so I said yes. And so, like, the audience got a little bit bigger. The room grew a little bit bigger. Went and spoke to her seniors, which was great because they're on the edge. Like, they're, they're about to jump out and tweeted about it. Um, I'm a big believer in sharing the things you do so that people know you do them. Um, you know, after I speak at a sales conference, they'll say, had a great time speaking at the sales conference because I want other sales conferences to go, Oh, we didn't know this guy even talked about sales. That's awesome. Um, so I go to Vanderbilt, I tweet about it later and the football team sees it and says, Hey, will you come speak to the football team? And this is when they were coached by James Franklin. They just beat Tennessee best season they had in decades, probably. And so, go speak there. Um, James Franklin, Franklin tweets out, John Acuff is a beast. like, And all of that starts with a small yes at the beginning. Like, I don't see the James Franklin situation when I say the initial yes to the Barnes & Noble. I certainly don't see it when I feel like I'm bombing and there's six people. But it's one of those where like you keep saying yes, and it, and it grows. Now, sometimes people hear that and they go, you're not supposed to say yes to everything. And I always think, well, I didn't say everything. like." I didn't, you know, I didn't say yes to 10 nights at the Barnes and Noble. Like I said, yes to one and I explored it and I grew it. And so I'm a big believer in kind of interviewing your opportunities and then recognizing you won't know. Like I meet so many high schoolers that are nervous about college or so many college students that are nervous about their major and they think they have to know. You won't know, like whether it's something small, like a month cycle of speaking or whether it's something big, like what will I do in 15 years? You're not going to know.
1: Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com because adding the ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of Dean Associates thank you to the incredible voice talents of the Muy Profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Young, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you've listened this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking
0: podcast.